Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 21. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. And if I know Paul, like I think I know Paul from the scriptures, I think Paul probably started at the beginning. 20 years ago, he probably talked about his conversion, of course. And then he talked about the first missionary journey that they went to. And Paul would probably tell Pastor James, he said, Pastor, you, I, I was at this church, this multicultural church in Antioch. He says, and those, those guys, they, they lay hands on me there in Acts chapter 13, and, and they laid hands on me, and they sent me out on his first missionary journey. And then they came to a city called Paphos. You remember that? And Paul would say, Pastor, it's at this city in Paphos that we found this one guy, and his name was Eliamus. His nickname was, his real name was Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, but his nickname was Eliamus, and Eliamus was a sorcerer. And, and Pastor Eliamus was trying to keep Sergius Paulus from receiving the gospel and from being saved. And, and, and Paul says, Pastor James, you should have been there, man. He, he said, I, I, I turned around and I looked at Eliamus and I gave him a look. <laughs> he, says, and I, he says, I looked at him. And I said to him, I said, you son of the devil, you're full of deceit. God's hand is on you, and you're going to go blind. And pastor, if you'd have been there, he went blind at that moment. It was an amazing thing. Maybe Paul would tell Pastor James. And then he would go on in great detail how he had traveled to preach in Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and then to Philippi. And pastor, at Philippi, we got beat, and we rejoiced. And we went, and Pastor James probably said, you did what? We rejoiced. And, and, and then they put us in prison. And while we were in prison, me and Silas, this guy named Silas, he's not with us right now, but, but he was with us. And we were in prison singing and praising God. And all of a sudden, the prison walls began to shake and the doors swung open. And, and, and this, the prison guard, the Philippian jailer, was just about to kill himself. And I said, hey, don't kill yourself because we're still here. And I had an opportunity to share the gospel with the Philippian jailer, and he got saved. And his whole household got saved. And then Pastor James, you ain't going to believe what happened next. He took us home, and he gave us something to eat. And then we, and he washed our wounds and washed my wounds. Can you believe that? The same guy who inflicted the wounds is now washing and cleansing the wounds. And we baptized those guys there in Philippi. And then we left from there and we went to Thessalonica and then we went to Berea and it was in Berea that I met these really smart Christians who searched the scriptures. Every time I said something, they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. They were smart Christians there at Berea, pastor. And then we went to Mars Hill where all the philosophers and all these smart people are. 
And they go there to Mars Hill to the Areopagus to hear some new stuff. And I preached a sermon. I titled the sermon to the unknown God. As I told them, look out there. You see that temple? That's the God I want to tell you about. The unknown God. And Paul would go on to say, Pastor, I've been stoned. I've been robbed. I've been shipwrecked floating in the ocean. I've been beaten. I've been persecuted. I've been left for dead. Story after story, one by one, in great amazing detail, he told of 20 years of ministry experience and all the things that happened. And notice in your Bibles in verse 20, when they heard these things, Things They glorified the Lord. And then they said, note this, you see how many thousands of Jews have been saved. And they're zealous for the law. Who heard that you are teaching, Paul, all the Jews to forsake Moses. And that you're teaching that you don't have to circumcise your kids. And the Jews don't have to walk after the customs. They heard that, but that was not true. As a matter of fact, Paul said just the opposite. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, perhaps you're taking notes, in verse 17 through 19, Paul said, Was anyone called while circumcised? Then let him not become uncircumcised. And was anyone called while uncircumcised? Then let him not be circumcised. Circumcision, Paul says, is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But the, the keeping of the commandments of God is really what matters. That's what Paul said. You see, Paul says it's not about tradition and it's not about keeping the law, but it's about keeping the commandments of God. Paul never told anyone to forsake Moses and the customs. And so the church here, they're concerned about offending the Jews. And so they say, this is what we think you ought to do, Paul. We have four men who are now under a vow, a Nazarite vow, as I told you in Numbers chapter six, you can write that in your margin. And they tell Paul to put himself under this vow, to go to the temple with the appropriate offering and purify himself. And also he should sponsor or pay the expenses of four guys who are under the vow currently. And everyone with this act, everyone will know that Paul is still zealous for the law. Now, the amazing thing is this, guys. Listen close. The amazing thing is Paul listens to their advice. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 through 23, it says this. And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under law to those who are without law as without law, not being without the law toward God, but under law toward Christ. In other words, not live in sin that I might. Here's the point that I might win those who are under the law. To the weak, I became weak. To, that I might win the weak. I have become all things, note this, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this, Paul says, for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker with you. Paul is saying anything that he could give a little bit on, he did it, for the sake of the gospel, Paul was by no means obligated to go back under the law or to take a Nazarite vow. Although we do know in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, he did take a haircut vow. And he got a haircut because he didn't want to stumble people. So Paul went back under the law, listened to their advice in order that he might not stumble them and that he might be able to win them. It's important to do things as not to stumble people. 
You know, when I go into an environment where they wear a suit and tie on Sunday mornings and preach, which happens from time to time, I wear a suit and tie on Sunday morning. I wouldn't go in there and go, well, look, y'all just got to get over it. I'm wearing my jeans. I'm wearing my shirt. I wear whatever I want to wear because I'm free in Christ. That's not love. That's not love. Love says, you know what? Hey, I become all things to all men and I might win some. And listen, I do not want my clothing to cause you not to hear what I'm saying. So I would certainly be happy. Man, one time I did a wedding. Y'all can't tell anybody. I did a wedding and I had to wear a robe. And you know. I'm, uh, uh. It was, a, it was a nice robe, though. It was really, really nice. They, they got it for me from this uh, older preacher, and this robe must have been 50 years old. It was beautiful. It was velvet, and it was really beautiful. And, uh, you know, I, th- I thought, you know, I might be able to get used to this. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I did it. Why? Because I, I didn't want to stumble anyone. I, you don't ever want to stumble someone and say you're walking in love. You're not. Paul says, I'll take a Nazarite vow because I want them to hear what I have to say. And whatever that means, short of sin... I'll do it. But Christians, we are not by no means obligated to take a vow. We are by no means obligated to take a vow. And I would recommend to you not to make them. You don't have to make them. You don't have to promise God this and promise God that. Oh, God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I'll go to church on Wednesday. <laughs> God gets you out of it. You come to church maybe two, maybe three. You're like, whatever, what happened to him? I ain't seen him at church on Wednesday. Oh, oh. Some folks, you know, something must be going on because they show up on Wednesday. <laughs> Y'all know that's right. Something must be going on. Oh, they in church a lot lately. Make a vow to God. You don't have to make a vow to God. He loves you the same. And, and you don't have to promise him anything. Why don't you just serve him every day and don't worry about the vows? Amen. Making promises that you can't keep. Making promises in your flesh. Because your flesh can't keep. I don't make no promises. No, I ain't promising God nothing. I don't. I mean that in the best way because I don't have any confidence in my flesh. Well, I promise I will do this and I will do that and I will do this. That's confidence in your flesh, man. You don't want to put no confidence in your flesh because your flesh, as soon as you do that very thing, you promise you nothing. And you go, I'm so bad. I'm a a low life, man. I'm so low. I play wall ball with the curb. I am so low. And you go, wait a minute, who, who are you telling you are so low? God already knew you were that low. I'm just trying to help your self-esteem today. God already knows, put confidence in your flesh. You don't have to make a vow. Just give your life to Christ and walk with him every day. Well, I got to move on. Look at verse 26. You still with me? Say amen. amen. Well, then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd and they laid hands on him. And those are not Pentecostal hands. They were beating my brother, crying out. Notice what they said. Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place, the temple. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. 
For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian. Remember, he's traveling with them. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they what? Supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him. What about that for a ministry job description? You might get killed. They were seeking to kill him. News came to the commander of the garrison that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar, and he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and asked, and he asked who he, Paul, was and what Paul had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another thing. Why? Because the mob mentality has taken over. Man, these guys are just screaming and yelling and beating Paul and nobody knows what in the world's going on, but they're just all doing it because they're just caught up in the moment. The mob mentality... So one said one thing, another said another thing. So when he had, could not, he could not ascertain the commander, couldn't ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks, the Antonio Fortress Bible students. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after him and they were crying, what? Away with him. Sound familiar? Notice, here's the scene. Now get the scene. Paul is coming to the temple. He's under a vow, and he's inside what's called the court of women. In the court area, uh, you have the court of the Gentiles, which is about three football fields long and wide. It's huge. And then within that, you have the court of women. In the court of women, stay with me, is a wall that's about three feet high. This wall is separating the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women. Anywhere in the world or anybody from any place in the world could come to the court of the Gentiles. But in the court of women, you had to be a Jew. No Gentiles allowed. No Gentiles allowed. Actually, listen, on the wall were posted these words exactly. Listen. No foreigner may enter within the barricade, which surrounds the sanctuary, the temple, and its enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So no one was allowed past any Gentile, allowed past the court of the Gentiles barrier. And I got to wonder, now listen, here's a little bit of sanctified imagination for you. I got to wonder if Paul was thinking, maybe he was just thinking of the verse in Ephesians chapter 2 that says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down what? The middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law and the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, and thus making peace. I got to wonder if Paul, even while they were beating him, and he's in this area of the court of the women, and he looks over and sees the ensuing death sign on the wall, and maybe he was just thinking, you know what, Jesus died to break down the walls that separate people. Did you know? 
Jesus died to bring down the walls that separate people. I am amazed at how many walls we put up in church. Walls of what to wear, what not to wear, what to do, what not to do, how to act, how not to act. We have all of these walls built up in the church. A lot of these walls are keeping the unbeliever out. We have so many walls in the church. You know, here at Calvary Chapel, we, see, we sought to bring down the walls. We sought to bring down the walls. We sought to bring down the walls. Watch this, and you know I'm going to talk about it. Of black folks' church and white folks' church. And never shall the two meet. That's a wall. I thank God. I look out in the audience here, and I don't see a bunch of walls. And I see a church that I believe God wanted in the beginning. Is that right? Is that right? It's a church. It's not a black church. This is not a black church. This is not a black church. It's not a white church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm awake. It's not a black church or white church. And there's no walls here. You know, we, we seek to have a church that glorifies the Lord. It's a church where people can come as they are. I see some people in the church and come here and they have a full suit on and a tie and, and, and they feel comfortable. And people that come with a t-shirt and shorts and jeans and they feel comfortable and that's okay. You should be able to come to church any way that you feel comfortable. People find out I'm a pastor and maybe I'll invite them to church from time to time. Not that often, but from time to time. And the first question they ask me, what do I wear? And I tell them, Something. Amen. Cover that up. Cover that up. We don't want to see that. Something. What? We don't care. Just come as you are. We build up walls and we keep people out of church. Those things aren't important. The thing that is important is Jesus Christ is the center of the church. It's his church, not anybody else's church. And so Paul, notice in your text, Paul goes into the court of women. And it's in the court of women that these Jews think this is a perfect place to set him up. And so they say, men of Israel, help. This is the man who's teaching against people and the law in this place. And of course, that wasn't true because they saw Trophimus, who was a Greek. They assumed and began to gossip and began to lie and say Paul took him in. Paul knows better than that. And there's a big sign posted, Trophimus can read. So it was gossip and lies. Listen, I know I'm not talking to anybody here today. I know that. But please, let's not be gossipers and lying in the church and gossiping about one another. Gossip is destructive. Gossip destroys. Gossip does hurt. People say sticks and stones break my bones and names will never hurt me. That's not true. It does hurt. And if you've been the object of gossip, you know how bad it hurts. Don't be gossipers. Don't be liars and telling lies. That's not of God. You know, it reminds me of this one funny story here. Let me read it to you quickly about these three ministers who decided to begin praying together and hold each other accountable. And as they got together for prayer for the very first time, the first minister says, brothers, I've got a sin to confess. For years, I've been struggling with temptation and with pornography, and I really need you to pray for me because I want to be delivered. Well, the second minister says, guys, you know, I've got to confess a sin, too. I've been struggling with alcohol and, and for years. And, and on Mondays, I, I just, you know, I go out and I get drunk. I get smashed. And, 
and I feel terrible about it. Please pray for me. And the third minister says, well, fellas, my struggle is that I love to gossip and I can't wait to get out of here and tell somebody. (laughs) Gossip hurts. I mean, it really does. MRA. And uh, the whole city, notice the, notice the whole city is moved. And they grab Paul, they drag him out of the temple area, and they shut the gates. And verse 33 tells us, the commander says, who is this guy? And what has he done? Nobody knows. And the multitude is crying away with him. Check it out. 27 years before this, Jesus was in the same place. And they cried out against him, away with him. You find that in Luke 23:18, John 19:15. Let me wrap it up in verse 37 through 40. Then as Paul was about to be led, look at verse 37, led into the, into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And, he's, and he replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs. He motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, underline this, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language saying, give me your attention. Notice the Roman captain was surprised that Paul spoke Greek because he thought that Paul was an Egyptian. And Paul said, do I look like an Egyptian? Do I walk like an Egyptian? (laughs) Josephus, he writes in Wars and Antiquities, he tells this story of this false prophet from Egypt who had gathered a group of 4,000 to overthrow Jerusalem, and these guys were called Sakaris. The name Sakari means dagger. These guys used to go into big crowds and they would stick a dagger in people. They were very good with their dagger and they would kill people. And so they were called Sakari. So this Roman soldier thought Paul was this famous Egyptian who was a murderer. And Paul says, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Jew from Tarsus, from Cilicia. And then Paul says, let me speak to the people. Paul stands on the stairs. He's got this big platform. He stands on the, on the top of the platform and he beckons to people and he waves his hand. And notice the people get silent. That's a Holy Spirit thing right there. You got this mad mob who doesn't know what in the world they're mad about. Paul gets up, raises his hand, and, hey, guys, let me talk. And it's complete silence. And he began to speak in Hebrew. And what did he say? You'll have to come back next week to find out. But I want to read you something really, really quickly, because what I see here is notice the Bible says in verse 40, listen close. Notice the Bible says in verse 40 that Paul spoke to them. What I see here is Paul is about to allow, as he always has, allow the Lord to use him as a vessel. Because in the next chapter of which you'll come back next week to see and to listen to and to read, God is going to move powerfully and mightily through Paul. And so Paul opens himself up and allows the Lord to use him as a vessel. And I want to read you something, ask you to give me your attention, just really quickly as I close. This little story is called The Vessel. The master was searching for a vessel to use. On the shelf there were many, which one would he choose? Take me, cried the gold one, I'm shiny and bright. 
I'm of great value when I do things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest. And for someone like you, master, gold would be best. Well, the master passed on with no word at all. He looked at the silver urn, narrow and tall. I'll serve you, dear master. I'll pour out your wine and I'll be at your table whenever you dine. My lines are so graceful, my carving so true, my silver will always compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed on to the brass. It was wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Here, here, cried the vessel, I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. Look at me, called the goblet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows my content so dear. Though fragile am I, I will serve you with pride, and I'm sure I'll be happy in your house to abide. Well, the master came next to a vessel of wood, polished and carved, it solidly stood. You may use me, dear master, the wooden bowl said, but I'd rather you use me for fruit, not for bread. Well, then the master looked down, and he saw a vessel of clay, empty and broken and helpless he lay. No hope had the vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and make whole, to fill and to use. Ah, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I will mend and use it and make it all mine. I need not the vessel with pride of itself, nor the one who is narrow to sit on the shelf, nor the one who is big-mouthed and shallow and loud, nor one who displays his content so proud, not the one who thinks he can do all things just right, but this plain earthly vessel filled with my power and my might. And then gently he lifted the vessel of clay, mended and cleansed it and filled it that day, and spoke to it kindly, this work you must do, just pour out to others as I pour into you. And that's what Paul did. Just pour out to others as God would pour into you. And this week, that's what evangelism is all about. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.